Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I am your host, John Robb, joined here by my wonderful co-host, Jeff Ayers. Jeff, how are you doing today? Doing good. Hope uh, things are going well. Things are going well over here. It uh, looks like spring is finally going to be sprung, hopefully, in California. We're going to get been cold and cold and cloudy for the last couple of days. Hopefully, this gets better, but uh, beginning of March, and uh, hopefully, things are looking up. Let's put it that way. You're in Seattle, see. aren't you? <laughs> Well, I haven't been to Seattle. No, but I did see your pictures, and you guys had a lot of snow. Sorry about that, but you chose to live there, you know. So. <laughs> yeah, at least it's all melted now. Yeah, but I want to remind everybody that all of our shows are brought to you by Suspense Magazine, so make sure you visit suspensemagazine.com for more information. And please don't forget about our anthology, Nothing Good Happens After Midnight, with Jeffrey Deaver, along with Linwood Barkley, Hank Philippi Ryan, John Lesquois, Heather Graham, and so many others. PW Star Review for that book. So check out that. Nothing good happens after midnight. We are going to be joined here tonight. Uh, he's going to be coming back for the second time. So we've got repeat business. So see, people do like us. They come back on several times. And we're going to be talking with none other than best-selling author Joel Rosenberg. He's going to be talking about his latest book, The Beirut Protocol, which is his next book in his Marcus, um, uh, Marcus Riker series. So very excited to talk to him. Are you ready, Jeff? I am excited and ready. Let's go for All it. All right. Well, let's bring Joel back on the show. So, Joel, thank you so much for coming on again. How are you doing tonight? Well, I'm doing well, but something better get, good better happen after midnight because it is 4 o'clock in the morning in Jerusalem, and oh, I am up to Oh, you're to over you there again. I appreciate it. It's a, <laughs> indeed. I think, uh, our airports I think are we talked to down, you. and we are not allowed out. Uh, oh. Now, how's the uh, situation over there, virus-wise? Are you when we record this? Your book comes out the next day on March the ninth. We're recording this on March the eighth, so we're still kind of in the middle of everything. How are things over in um, in Jerusalem with the virus? Well, things are getting better here, both in Jerusalem and throughout Israel, uh, significantly better. Um, we have uh, almost all of our adult population vaccinated. Uh, rates of the virus are dropping significantly, but we're, we're an island in a sense, uh, and uh, Israel is uh, has had such a, um, a, a bad battle with this. We, we've we have lost more than 5,700 people mm. now for a country like uh, the United States that you know is 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 has lost hundreds of thousands. That doesn't seem like a lot, but. Um, more people have died here in Israel of COVID um, than of war and terror for the last 25 years. That's, That's how you have to put it in perspective. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a, for a small country of 9 million people, losing 5,700 people is like, like the worst war we've ever had. So uh, it's been significant. And, and to keep the uh, mutations out, the government decided to close the airport several weeks ago. We're just in the early stages of, of reopening but it's been hard, and uh, um, you know when I write, I write about worst case scenarios. This is one you of do. the worst case scenarios I have not written about, though. You've not, you've not got into the <laughs> disease category. No, yet. And, and people have asked me, are did you wish you'd written about uh, you know a pandemic? No, I do not. I'm going to leave that to Robin Cook. Uh, <laughs> you do all the pandemic and the contagion, and uh, I mean just one. I mean, one novel of, of people dying of massive disease after another, it's just, uh, I, I never even thought of it as, as, as something to write a thriller about. But uh, it's, it's, been a, it's been such a hard year. But I hope people, uh, I mean, a lot of people are turning to thrillers, I think, to I get think their so. mind off of their own miserable life right now. 
Well, this is the fourth installment now in, um, in the Marcus Riker series that you got going on uh, in, the, in the Beirut Protocol. So tell us a little about what you got going on. Absolutely. So Marcus Riker, uh, as, as we discussed last time, is a Marine. He served, uh, uh, he was decorated for combat in uh, several tours in Afghanistan, in Iraq. He heads back to the United States where he joins the United States Secret Service. Uh, he rises to become uh, a member of the elite presidential protective detail uh, at the White House. Uh, and yet it's a tragedy in Marcus Riker's life um, in, the, in the first novel, The Kremlin Conspiracy, a few years ago. Uh, that, that tragedy pulls him out. He, it forces him to leave government service, and he, he's got to take a break for several years, and he is not intending to come back. Uh, but a series of bad geopolitical events uh, force him, in a sense, uh, his government requires his service, and, it, and he ends up working for the Central Intelligence Agency. So as we meet Marcus in Book 4, uh, the Beirut Protocol, uh, the United States is trying to finalize a, an historic peace treaty between Israel and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. That is not a deal that's actually happened in real life yet, but, uh, but that would be the mother of all peace deals. And we've seen some major peace deals in just in the last few months, right, with the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Morocco, and even, and even the Republic of Sudan, uh, where bin Laden used to live, where there used to be jihad, where there used to be a genocide. These four countries have made peace with Israel, and it's been actually in real life, and it's been pretty exciting. So the Beirut Protocol is premised on the idea that the Saudis are, get, are, are ready to make a, a final decision with Israel, but uh, Israel is, and the Americans are very worried that Iran is, and, and Iran's pro terrorist proxy forces, like, like Hezbollah, uh, the terror force in Lebanon, uh, they're worried that, that Iran is going to move and try to blow up the peace process. And so the U.S. Secretary of State is – this is all chapter one, so I'm not giving away the whole book. It sounds that way. <laughs> this, this, but, this is uh, just chapter the, one. <laughs> the Secretary of State is, is coming to, the, uh, to, to Israel uh, for some final negotiations on the Saudi peace deal. But she wants a briefing on the threat by Iran and its terror proxy force Hezbollah uh, in Lebanon. So she wants to take a, a ride along the – Israeli Lebanon border and and get a briefing on what's happening there. And so Marcus Riker and his team are doing an advance trip the day before the secretary's arrival to make sure everything is, is ready and safe on that border. But it isn't. Uh, there's a massive firefight as chapter one begins. Um, a Hezbollah uh, terror cell is attacking um, and Marcus and two of his colleagues are, are grabbed during that firefight uh, by Hezbollah forces and pulled into a terror tunnel that had not been pre uh, previously identified by the Israeli Defense Forces, and they're pulled underground and then deep into Lebanon, deep behind enemy lines, and suddenly the hero of the story, uh, the hero of the series, um, has, you know, is being held uh, captive and being tortured, and that's how the book begins. 
Well, I was going to nice. joke and say your book is only two chapters, but two <laughs> <laughs> chapters, chapter one and then chapter two. Yeah. Um, so I want to know more a bit about Marcus Riker. Um, how did he come into your mind, and what made you realize that uh, you had a serious character here? Well, I appreciate it. I, you know, I have uh, I've taken a very different route than a lot of my. Um, best-selling thriller writer contemporaries. Um, if you look at the, the others, uh, you know, Vince Flynn, uh, you know, rest in, may he rest in peace. Uh, as a, he endorsed my first novel 20 years ago almost, uh, The Last Jihad. He was such a great writer. You know, Vince picked uh, uh, one character, essentially. I mean, he had, he had one book he did, but, but then he got into Mitch Rapp, and that was it. He was a Mitch Rapp guy from from the beginning to the end. Um, and that's what you usually see in thriller writers is they, they, they create and then they run with one franchise character, right? Ian Fleming, it was James Bond. Uh, you know, it, it was, you've had Jason Bourne and you've got Mitch Rapp and you've got uh, all these characters that, uh, Jack Reacher, um, that's it. That's the character that writers do. I didn't do that. I have written a, a whole series of series they're usually trilogies, not always. Um, but and I don't regret it. Maybe commercially it wasn't as successful a choice. Um, I've sold 5 million copies. I'm happy. <laughs> but, you know, some of these characters, you know, once you, got, once you love that character, you want to read every book. But as I was dealing with other characters, I, I realized I really wanted to try my hand at creating the character that that I might run with for the rest of my career. I don't know. I haven't decided. I'm willing to kill off my main characters if I need to. <laughs> I don't want anyone to ever read a Joel Rosenberg novel and think, oh, yeah, this guy will live. I've killed off main characters in the past, so I want to keep people on their toes. But, you know, once you kill the, your character off, then you really have to start from scratch, right? So, um, uh, Not if you write a comic book. You can kind of do whatever you want. Well, that's true. That's true. Yeah, right. If you're in the Marvel Universe, maybe you can go back at that's also you have to make a billion dollar film also. So, um, right. so Marcus, I knew two things when I started writing this character. I wanted him to be a former Secret Service agent. Um, I don't know, you know, there was, there was something about that skill set that I wanted. Uh, somebody who was, um, I, I wanted somebody who was not, he was, he was a trained killer, but he's not, a, he's, not a, um, he's not an assassin. Right? He's not Jason Bourne. He's not Mitch Rat. Um, I, I believe countries need um, men like that in their arsenal, but that's not who I wanted to write about. Um, and in part because there are other char- major characters that we know out in the market like that. I wanted someone who, who his training and his instincts and his personality is to protect his country, his leaders, his currency, whatever it might be. Um, uh, so that's what, but I wanted him to be a former and uh, somebody who gets pulled back into government service even though he's done with it. And the reason I wanted him to be former was I wanted him to be a widower, so he, that he's lost his wife and he's actually lost his only son. Why? Uh, well, I'm not a masochist, but I, I wanted a character who was – who had all this training and, and was at the top of his game, but he's, but he's also suffering loss. And the reason he left government service was because he, he couldn't do it. He, he was in, in grief 
And he thought, you know, I've, I've spent my entire life protecting my nation, protecting its leaders, and I couldn't protect the people that I love the most. And that sort of haunts him. So those are the only two things I knew when I sat down to write Marcus Riker. And what has emerged is, uh, is I think, a, if for me, it's the most interesting and complex character that I've written. Um, I'm still getting to know him, but I'm fine. But, but in the Beirut Protocol, ha- having set him up as these tremendous skill sets that he's pulled back into to government service to use into the CIA, now I'm knocking out all those skill sets by having him taken hostage. Gotcha. Nice. So now, so far, all four books in the series have been set internationally, and uh, you, you have them in the Middle East, and then you had the Kremlin conspiracy, which pulled in Iran and Russia and North Korea. And you got, have, have you, do you have plans to maybe set one directly all in the United States in the series uh, coming up? Yes, uh, the next, uh, well, I will, so I'm tipping my hand. Uh, there we go. I, yes, I'm actually working on uh, the next uh, Riker book, so the, the only spoiler here is that you know that he lives. And that would usually not be a spoiler for most uh, thriller writers, but I say uh, <laughs> I'm willing, if, 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 if need be, take that character out. Uh, you know, right, uh, Kiefer Sullivan used to say in 24, you know, maybe we should, you know, kill me off in the middle of the series. And then, you know, the network's like, no, we're making too much money off of you. For, <laughs> you <laughs> would change it from talk, 24 to that. 12. Done, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so, yes, um, the, the next one will be a, a mixture of, of international, but it will come back to the United States as a major terror plot. As he's, as he's hunting down, he and his team are hunting down uh, a terrorist um, unfortunately, the, the trail will lead them right back into the United States as they don't expect it. So, uh, but that's the one I'm working on now, not the one itself. Very cool. Um, well, I was going to say 24 killed everybody else off but Jack Reacher. <laughs> not <laughs> Jack Reacher. You mean Jack Bauer. Jack, Jack Bauer. Bauer. Yeah, Jack Bauer. <laughs> Pick a Jack. Any Jack. Yeah. yeah, there's more yeah, than one the, famous Jack the, out there. Yes. How do they do that? Anyway, um, yeah. Yeah, so Jack Bauer's the only one that survived. Everybody else seemed to die. It was amazing. Um, why do you think readers enjoy fictional versions of potential real-world events? Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, I, you know, that's a good question because it, 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 of course, predates 9-11. But we are coming up on the, on the 20th anniversary this year of yeah. September 11th. It's kind of a, amazing oh, to wow. think that... 20 years ago, it hadn't happened yet. Um, the worst terror attack on the United States uh, in, in history, uh, the worst sneak attack since Pearl Harbor. Um, and and at, while, while people love thrillers before that, um, most thrillers were really in the genre of spy novels. Um, it was, it was much, they, were, they were driven by the Cold War. They were driven by reality, the reality was the Soviet Union was trying to, you know, you know, off the line from Nikita Khrushchev, we're going to bury you, right? That the West was going to be buried by the Soviet communist system, and um, and and so that's the that's the world of Tom Clancy, right? The Hunt for Red October. That's the world right. of, of George Smiley, right? And and and. Uh, uh, and, and this this world of espionage and the um, the man who you know 
came in from the cold and uh, the, the spy who came in from the cold. And these other stories were really Cold War driven. When I sat down in January of 2001, it was, it's literally, I just started my career 20 years ago, January. Uh, I wanted to write a book about radical Islamist terrorists attacking the United States. I, I, I was interested in the Cold War. Um, my family escaped out of Russia uh, before, uh, before the Russian Revolution, in the, around 1906 and 07. Uh, they escaped as Orthodox Jews out of Russia, uh, and, and they got themselves to the United States, and like any good Jewish family, they set up shop in Brooklyn. That's how it's done. <laughs> and uh, in college, uh, I had become an evangelical, so I was interested in going and visiting uh, the, the old country, as my father used to call it. Um, but I wanted to visit the Soviet Union. I wanted to understand that country. Uh, I'd studied it in college, but so I went and I smuggled Bibles into the Soviet Union in 1986. So I'm, I'm fascinated with, with Russia and the Kremlin, as you say. I wrote a novel called The Kremlin Conspiracy. Right. But primarily my interest was in the Middle East. And I had worked for former Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu. He was the former then. Now he's, you know, he's the Prime Minister, the longest-serving Prime Minister of Israel. But working for him in the year 2000, um, even for a brief season, was so interesting. It wasn't just working for him. It was working with his national security and foreign policy advisors. And Netanyahu was always saying and, and warning American leaders, if you don't take this seriously, the threat of radical Islam is going to come and hit you and blindside you in the United States, just like it's attacking us here in Israel all the time. And as I thought about that, I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to write a novel about American leaders being blindsided by an evil they do not understand? And I rem last point on that, I, I remember... Um, I, I, I'd been a big fan of, of Tom Clancy, and I'd read Debt of Honor. And that, as you'll recall, was a book about um, the son of a Japanese uh, um, World War II veteran, and the son is so uh, embittered um, by American uh, uh, malfeasance and imperialism in, in his view, that he and he's now a pilot for a Japanese airline, and he decides to fly a 747 into the Capitol building. Now, that was a terrifying thought, and that was, well, you know, decades before 9-11, at least a decade. But I did not believe that the kamikazes of World War II, that that was really an ideology that could compel someone to attack America that way. I thought, you know, it was a, it was a great novel, but it wasn't realistic because I don't believe that, that's, that's, that that ideology motivates people not just to commit suicide. He's, this is really committing murder, right? A we say suicide bomber, but what we really mean is a homicide bomber. And so I was thinking at the time, the only ideology that I know of on the planet today, or the primary one, let's say, is, is radical Islamism. Not all of Islam, I'm not talking about that, but, it, but radical Islamism. Uh, and, and this is causing people, we see it all over the region, to be willing to strap a suicide belt or a homicide belt on themselves, walk into a marketplace, and blow themselves some smithereens. And I thought, what if someone hijacks a plane? 
with that mentality and turn the plane into a missile. Um, that was nine months before September 11th, 2001. Um, but that's the story that became The Last Jihad, my first political thriller. And that's how the story opens. It with a, the first page puts you inside the cockpit of a jet plane that's been hijacked by a radical Islamist terror group, and it's flying a kamikaze mission into an American city. Now, it happens to be Denver, not New York or Washington. Um, and, but that needs my fictional American president in the last jihad to declare war, not just on these terror cells, but he decides he has to remove Saddam Hussein from power because of Saddam's historic connections to terrorism and weapons of mass destruction. That's how, the, that's how that novel plays out. And who knew, you know, I was finishing the, that novel, The Last Jihad, on the morning of September 11th, 2001, in the townhouse that we lived in at the time with my wife and kids, 15 minutes away from Washington Dulles Airport. We're at that moment, one of the, the planes, uh, Flight 77, was being hijacked, turned around, oh, yeah. flown over our house, and into the Pentagon. And when The Last Jihad was released in the fall of 2002, yeah, 9-11 had happened, but the war in Iraq had not. The debate was a, was, a, was a consuming national debate. Should we or shouldn't we go into Iraq to remove Saddam? Well, I, I'd written the first novel, the only novel at that point, dealing with kamikaze attacks by radical Muslims and going to war with Iraq. And it became this big bestseller because people thought, what are you talking about? Every other, every other thriller writer had, had woken up on September 12th and essentially had to rethink their world. The, the, the Cold War was not the big story. Um, the Middle East was, and that's the story that I had already written. Nice. Yeah, well, um, the, the, the reason I was asking uh, the question about why do readers like reading about these is because some thriller writers we've interviewed say, oh, you know, people don't want to know about anything real-world events. They want to, you know, escape. And others say, no, we do want to discuss these things because it brings justice. So I was wondering, you know, um, for you... Yeah, I think it's a combination. Um, no, I think it's absolutely a combination. They, they want... I mean, part of it after 9-11 was... Uh, yeah, people wanted to, to see um, bad guys um, taken down. That, that, that's, the, that's the instinct for justice, and it's a, it's a good instinct. We, we need justice in our world. Uh, that's part of it. Uh, and we were joking before about the, the DC universe, the, the Marvel universe. That, what, what does that come from? That comes from yep. this fear that crime is going to be so horrible and, and that the police won't really take care of it or they're too corrupt or they're too lame and that you need superheroes to do the work to protect us, right, and, and to bring justice in the universe. And, and that instinct, uh, that, that hunger for justice is absolutely the right hunger. At the same time, it, it is an escape because most people don't live. They were never gonna, they're never going to jump out of an airplane and, and you know, halo jump into a, a, a radicalized country and go hunt for bad guys. They're not, you know, that's not their life. They're living vicariously through someone else. But there is one other thing, and that is the threat of radical Islam, as an example, or the Cold War in its day, was, seems like such evil 
then the question was, I don't really understand that evil. I don't really, as a, as a, as a regular person in, in my workaday life, I don't really understand what's going on in the Middle East. I know it's important. I know I should know all about it and why it affects me, why I have to send my sons and daughters to join the military, to serve, to protect our country. But I don't really get it, and I don't really have the time or interest to read a 900-page book on radical Islam. So a thriller has a way of uh, what I'm trying to do in part is, yeah, I want to thrill you. I want your heart pounding, your blood pumping you. I want to keep you up till 6 o'clock in the morning until you realize, oh, my gosh, I've just read through the entire night. I've got to go to work. I've got to go to school. You're cursing me on Twitter. You know? and, uh, and so that, yeah, I want to thrill you. But I also want, and because most people want to be entertained, they don't really want to be educated. But in this area of the Middle East, people, they, they sort of do want to be educated, but they want to, you know, they want, they want to eat a cheeseburger. They don't want to eat broccoli. And if they can get some <laughs> nutrients out of out of the burger somehow, then maybe. You know. So this is my way of, uh, in a sense, teaching and educating, but also warning. My novels really are about not what's happening today. They're really about what could happen tomorrow. And the fact that my novels have so often seeming to foreshadow actual events that were coming, that became sort of a brand that um, people, you know, people talk about me being a modern Nostradamus. They talk about you know, these are books, Joel's books are ripped from tomorrow's headlines. So there is also that sense that uh, people are like, what could happen? I don't want to think about pandemic right now. I want to I think about some other horrible thing. Yeah, so <laughs> let's think of something else that could happen, but it didn't happen. Yeah. Well. <clears throat> Exactly. I think part of the reason that people read them, too, is I think that there's always that little bit of revenge in people's head. They like to see the bad guy get stuck. They like to see whatever, you know, whether it was Russia, and that's why it was the Cold War, because they were the enemy. They were the bad guys. So let's write a book, and let's stick it to them. And, you know, so now after 9-11, it's kind of like, <clears throat> you know, Islam is the bad guy, so let's stick it to them. And I think that I think people like to know that the bad guys get in, the, in their mind getting it stuck to, and I think they like that. Well, I think that's true. I think there's also that feeling of, what's the type of person that that I'm not? Well, what type of person would 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 put themselves in harm's way to protect our country, to protect our values? Right, and then that side, yes, and the hero side, yeah. right. Exactly, because I look. I, you know, you, I mentioned before. You know, you really have some amazing franchise characters from from Brad Thor, from Vince Flynn, from uh, you know uh, Robert Ludlum, Jason Bourne. I mean, uh, Ludlum, exactly. Yeah. Where you have really people who are they're trained to hunt other people, uh, and, right. and that is that's a skill set. My Marcus Riker is really he's trained primarily to protect. And I think I've always been fascinated with a person, you know, who works. My, my friends who do work for the United States Secret Service, I think, you know, what, that is quite a mindset. You're living a life of 99% sheer boredom, trained for the moment of sheer terror, mm-hmm. where you would literally put yourself in between a, an assassin's bullet and someone, a political leader that you might despise personally. You might despise their character. You might right. despise their politics. 
and yet you're willing to die to protect this person, the President of the United States. Imagine if you're a Democrat and you're protecting Donald Trump. Imagine right. you're a Republican and you're, and you're, and you're having to defend uh, Bill Clinton or whomever. The, the point is our institutions are super important, and who are these people willing to protect the country, protect their, our leaders, and willing to take a bullet to die, to give your ultimate sacrifice. And for me, it's also intriguing just from a religious or spiritual sense. Like, who are these people, and are they absolutely certain they know where they're going to go when they die, that they live this way? It, it totally intrigues me, um, and that's who I wanted Marcus Riker to be. Very nice. Yeah, very deep. I mean that's very deep and emotional uh, uh, to get into him, and and that's and I think that's probably why a lot of people, you know, love the character and are loving the series so much. And the best way for them to find out about like your new book, where the uh, the Beirut Protocol, and then anything else you got coming on, I'm thinking uh, JoelRoseberg.com is probably the best place for them to go, right? Yes, JoelRoseberg.com. You can also certainly find me on Facebook. On Twitter, Joel C. Rosenberg, my middle initial is C. Um, yeah, absolutely. And we started a, a new um, a news site to cover events here in the Middle East, uh, All oh. Israel News. So that's allisrael.com. People can learn about what I'm writing and, and tracking in, on a day-to-day basis in, in real life. And I know you have all the links for everything up on your site. You also have a blog that you do. Uh, people can sign up for your email and get notifications and yes. stuff like that. So very cool to be able to, um, you know, stay in touch with your fans this way. And uh, you got some virtual events that you're doing for the book. We do, and uh, and people can find out at joelrosenberg.com. You'll see a, a bar up there at the top. It'll you click on there as, as events or my blog. But the top story right now is. The book tour, yeah. So because we're locked in here in the United, here in Israel, um, I can't get to the states for uh, what it would right. be. A, it wouldn't even have been a normal book tour. It was still going to be virtual, but right. I did want to do it on American time zones. <laughs> but nevertheless, here I am. There you go. Looking to you guys. I, yeah. No, look, I'm just going all nocturnal. I joke that I'm, I, I've, I've had to become Yasser Arafat for the month. Uh, Yasser Arafat being the terrorist leader who was basically known for uh, sleeping all day and working all night, and uh, I guess that's me now. Yeah, he was just he was just trying to do Ramadan all the time. Just said he just was like, you know what, I'm just gonna make it easy on myself. <laughs> Apparently, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just adjust for the whole year. I, that I was way. gonna I was gonna say the book is not officially out here yet, but it's officially out where you are because it's already the ninth where you are, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I think that uh, all the all the systems are on uh, on American East Coast time. So at midnight, uh, yeah, on, about two and a half uh, hours, twelve oh one, New York time. Uh, exactly. So, but you know what's interesting? Okay. It's um, I, I when I started writing, you know, when you write your first thriller, and that, uh, my first one, as I said, was twenty years ago. You just hope that your mother can find it at a bookstore within twenty, you know, two hundred miles of her house sure. or something. That's your that's your objective, right? To to wind up on the New York Times bestseller list or Publishers Weekly or USA Today or whatever it is. That's like extra. That's gravy. But what's happened is not only have the books become uh, bestsellers, uh, which is super fun, obviously, um, because you're you're reaching a wider audience. If you're gonna, if you're going to be a hermit 
and write these books, you know, uh, in total privacy, with total quiet. You hope that somebody's going to read them. But what's happened over the years, I'll just wrap up with this, is world leaders, American leaders, are reading my novels. Uh, the Vice President of the United States, the Secretary of State, three former directors of the Central Intelligence Agency, uh, a form, former President uh, George W. Bush is, is reading my novels. Uh, the King of Jordan, the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia. It's been kind of crazy what has happened and doors that have opened for them to invite me to come and sit with them and, and talk to them. And, you know, most political thriller writers, A, haven't worked in politics. I did, I, although I was terrible at it. Every day I worked for and lost. Uh, but that, aside from that, um, then to have, you know, major spy masters and kings and crown princes, presidents and prime ministers actually read your books, it adds a little bit of pressure when you're writing. It does. You know, I've got to not only hold the interest of my friends, I've got to hold the interest of people who, who know way more about this topic than I do and yet somehow want to be entertained. And I, I find that a fascinating challenge. That's hilarious. Well, hey, Joel, we want to thank you again so much for coming on and talking to us about the Beirut Protocol. Again, everybody, the book drops March the 9th, so when you hear this interview, it is out and available, and the audio is coming out at the same time, I take it? It is. It is, and George Vidal okay. uh, reads so it. So it will be available, ebook, print, and audio all in the same time. So whatever format you want, you got, right? Indeed. All right. Hey, well, Joel, you, I'm sure you're probably awake. It's 4 a.m., um, or you're going to be getting some sleep now. Uh, either way, you take care. And, again, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure to speak with you, and we wish you nothing but the best. Stay safe. Hopefully you're able to make it back over there in the United States sometime soon. I would love that, yes. I'm looking forward to coming there at some point, but great to kick off the, uh, the Beirut Protocol book tour with you guys. I appreciate it very much. Awesome. Thank you so much oh, for having so for coming much. back on and including us in it, so we appreciate that. You have a good one. We'll talk My soon. My pleasure. All right. Greetings from Jerusalem. Nice. Bye-bye. There we go. <laughs>